Thank you all for being here. How about this? Pretty exciting. Pretty exciting. I, uh, I had the privilege of calling uh, Pastor Cliff, wife, Cindy. They were on a way to do a wedding tonight. Otherwise, he said he would have been here to pray with us and to welcome us and to uh, greet us here at, at, at their church. Uh, he, is a, he has been just a wonderful person, just a wonderful uh, friend to, uh, to us. And, and to, um, I, I would like to be like him. And, and I think in some ways we have. We've always opened up our doors when we had a church. We've always opened up doors and let anyone that comes in can come in. And we wanted them to have church. And, and, and I think back on Mike Manning when he didn't have a church and he came and said, can we have a place to worship. And we didn't ask him, do you have any money? Uh, do you have any of this? Do you have any of that? How many people do you have? We didn't ask him any of those questions. We just simply said what I think you would want us to say. And we said, yes, yes, we'll make it work. And we did. And the Lord blessed him. And he now is a pastor of a church in, in uh somewhere in this area, or outside of this area in Orange, I think. But anyways, we had a hand in that. We had a hand in, in that. And, and I hope that, uh, as I tried to tell Cliff, as, as he and his wife were driving to do the wedding, I wanted to let him know just how much we appreciated him. And I wanted you to do that. If you think of it, if you drop him a note, or you text, or you email, whatever it is that you do, you might want to drop him a note and tell him how much we as a church appreciate it. He already told me that he, we already uh, kind of uh, demonstrated that by coming here and helping uh, clean up certain things, working on the grounds, uh, doing something to help. And we will always do that. We want to try, if we can, to make this place better than what we leave it. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. <laughs> Yeah, you got to keep me and the kids as far away from us as place as we can. Well, I didn't want to to start off by uh, by laughing so much because I uh, I think uh, amongst all of you, I've been asked to remember the people in Colorado. Um, I want I want you to think about about all of this, which I I gotta believe you already have, and. Uh, You've already probably processed it in your mind and, and thought about just um, how many times have you, your kids say, I'm going to a movie tonight, and you say, okay, son, okay, daughter, you know, have a good time, come home early. And how, how many families did that uh, the other day? And, and they won't see their, uh, their loved ones uh, again here on this earth. And so we need to lift them up in prayer. I can't even imagine, can you? Can't even imagine um, what must be going through their hearts and all of our minds. If you would turn with me, please, to Romans. I wasn't going to speak on this topic tonight, and I don't normally speak on a topic that, that goes along with uh, social issues. I just don't do that. I don't feel that God's called me to do that. I want to share with you... Um, what I believe our Lord is trying to teach us here in the book of Romans. We started off by, uh, by Paul introducing himself to us in this great, great book. And then all of a sudden, as we're going to learn this week, he, he, shifts, he makes a, a tremendous shift in gears. 
He's talking about the righteous shall live by faith. And he talks about faith. And he, he, he talks about how he has been burdened in his life. And he, remember, remember the first three I am's he, he mentioned in, in verses 14, 15, 16, and 17. Remember he said, I am under obligation to every single soul. And he says, I am also eager. I'm eager to preach the gospel to everyone. And then he said... Be, I'm not ashamed of it either. Because, because the gospel is the power of salvation to, to every single one who believes. And he says the righteous person shall live by faith. And, and, and then Paul shifts gears. And, and I, I wanted to try to explain to you today why. What was the reason he shift gears? In, in the rest of chapter 1 from 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 verse 18 way on up into chapter 3, he starts talking about, about those who have denied the existence of God, which brings us to the issue that took place in Colorado, which brings us to where we are right now in, in church. We're not going to touch on these verses tonight, but I want you to look at them with me in Romans chapter 1. It says in verse 21, even though they knew God, they didn't honor Him as God. They didn't honor Him as God. And because of that, we find in verses 24, 26, and 28, that God then gives them over to whatever passion or lust or sin that goes within their hearts. Look at verse 24. Therefore God gave them over. Verse 26. For this reason God gave them over. Verse 28. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. And that's the society we live in today. That, that, is, that is the way you and I have to function in this world in which we live. We live in a society that for the most part has pushed God aside. Here's the sad truth that we will talk about tonight. The church, the church as a whole is trying to push Him aside. They're trying to make Him fit in to our way of thinking. That was never the way it was supposed to be. We were always supposed to be converted and we would transform ourselves into his way of thinking. That's the way it was supposed to be. That's what I long for you and for me. That's what I want for us. That we would be a people that just love our Lord. And so I, I want to ask you to do a couple of things tonight. and We'll stop right here and we'll do it. I want us to pray for the people in Colorado. Those, I can't imagine how they must feel. The families who have lost loved ones. And also, in that perspective, I want to I thank the Lord for Pastor Cliff Sampson and his wife, Cindy, for allowing us to come in here like this. We're, we're larger than their church. We're more intrusive. We might accidentally break things.
But we will repair everything and we will do everything that we can in, to make this place a better place. We want to honor the people of this church. They did not need to open their doors to us. But they did. And so let's pray. Father, uh, I guess first things first, first we, we will thank for, uh, Pastor Cliff, his wife, the congregation of this wonderful church, this church that was pointed out to me just a moment or two ago that it's one of the oldest established church in this community, built in 1912, 100 years old. We're walking in grounds where some saints of God have walked before us. We thank you, Father, for Cliff, his wife, their family. Would you bless them? Bless them as, as he goes to this wedding tonight. And I pray that it really is a special time for he and the people that he's um, marrying. And then, Father, we want to reach out to those people in Colorado. To families who, who said goodnight to a loved one figure and they'd see them in the morning. So, Lord, I don't know how that they will function. I, I know that those of us who know you would trust you explicitly with this and, and move on. But sometimes those words are so easy to say. I just pray that you'll watch over all the families that went through such a terrible experience and you would give, Father, those that, that know you an opportunity to share the comfort of Jesus Christ with the people who have experienced this terrible, terrible thing. Father, we ask that you'll bless us as we study your word. We ask that you would, Father, open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from your law. We ask that you would move me aside so that I would not hinder or move in the way of what you want to say with us or through us. That you would speak to each of us individually and bless us, Father, this day. So thank you, Lord, for this church. Thank you for this pastor. Thank you for this time that we have together here. Thank you for the people who come, who've moved from place to place to place with us over the years that we started this church. Thank you for each and every single one of them, Father. In Jesus' most precious name, amen. I'm just going to look at three verses today, really just one. It's, it's power-packed. Paul, for whatever reason, shifts gears. He now is going to talk about the wrath of God that is placed upon those who suppress the truth through two factions, ungodliness and unrighteousness. What it appears here, and this is just what I'm thinking, it appears that Paul wants us to realize that if you want to know what true salvation is really all about, then you have to recognize and realize the result of sin. You see, Scripture 
was not written for you and me to make us feel good about ourselves. I mean, so many people get that misconception of why the Bible was written. The Bible was not written to make us feel good about ourselves. The Bible was written to reveal to us how desperately we need a Savior. And Paul tells us that none of us are with an excuse. He says in verses 18, 19, and 20, We all know better. Read with me, please. Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. It's a key phrase. Because that which is known about God, watch now, is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. How? Verse 20, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. You might want to think about that sometime. From verse 18 forward, there is an abrupt change of point of view from Paul. He has just spoken to us about the wonderful gospel, which is the good news that comes to us from an almighty God who pours it out upon mankind. And so why does Paul suddenly shift gears? Why does he shift his attention away from the good news that God supplies to announce his wrath? Why? My thought. Just my thought. It's only worth the lint in my pocket. But I think that the Lord wants us to realize something. As people who have walked this earth, trusted in Him, He wants you and me to know until we understand the depth of His wrath, we will never realize the depth of His grace, His unmerited favor, how much He wants to forgive you and me. Until we understand the demands of his law, the demands that are written in here. Really study this carefully until we understand the demands that are written in here. We'll never appreciate the fullness of his love for us. Until we know something about his anger against disobedience, we'll never really truly appreciate his loving forgiveness, nor will we grasp the eternal consequence of sin? Now, you and I, we just went through a, a, a time in the book of, of Revelation. Okay, we, we saw the wrath. I mean, that we understand, I hope. But what Paul is saying to these people in Rome, until you understand this, you're never going to really grasp the eternal consequence of your failure or your your lack of repentance. One of the great tragedies within our faith today is the failure of pastors to preach the wrath of God, to preach the condemnation that, that comes upon those who are in unrepented sin, just refuse to repent. 
Every human being, since the very fall of mankind, since Adam and Eve, way back in the garden, have been born under condemnation. All of us are sinners. That's what we have in common. With one exception, Jesus Christ. Born perfect. Died for your sin and mine. Which calls Paul to declare in this great book, in the third chapter, the 23rd verse, that all of us have sinned. And all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Paul wants you to know that and to understand it. So in this one verse that we just read, verse 18, two things are, highly, are highlighted. Both is mentioned to provoke God to anger or his wrath. They are ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Ungodliness has to do with man's attitude towards God. Ungodliness. While the unrighteousness of men has to do with our behavior towards one another. That young man who for whatever reason shot people for no reason, it appears. And so we see that God's anger or his wrath is directed against both the ungodly as well as the unrighteous. Now Paul starts in verse 18 by saying that these people have done something. They have willfully done something. Verse 18, they have suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. Paul is saying that there is an ultimate truth that, that God has made known about himself. You know it and I know it. Innately we know it. And mankind has chosen to suppress this truth. And this action, this suppressing of this truth provokes God to anger or his wrath. Now the Greek word for suppress is very interesting. It is K-A-T-A-K-E-I-N. It means to press down with force. Or other words that might say it even better, willfully repress or hinder or stifle. So the word for suppress is to to willfully hinder, to willfully stifle. In essence, Paul is saying that the truth of God is being pushed down. It is being suppressed by mankind. So what we find in the next couple of chapters, Paul lets us see what, what mankind looks like when suppressing the truth of God and living apart from Him. We just read of three incidences in this chapter, chapter 1, verses 24, 26, and 28. God gave them over. God will not tolerate our ungodliness. And so in Romans chapter 1, you might want to note this. I, I think we have, we'll have it written down up there. Romans chapter 1, um, it says from verses 18 to 32, that's the rest of this chapter, we see the person who purely chooses not to believe God. It would be the atheist, the, 
agnostic, the, the one who's just pushed God aside out of their lives. In chapter 2, which we will study in time, from verses 1 through 16, we find the hypocrite, the one who, who thinks he's moral, thinks he's self-righteous, thinks he's religious, says he believes in God, but in truth, he has no understanding of God. Then in chapter 2 to chapter 3, from verse 17 of chapter 2 to verse 8 of chapter 3, Paul then speaks to the religious Jew. The one who has had God from the very beginning, but stands condemned without Jesus Christ. And finally, in chapter 3, verses 9 through 20, Paul writes to everybody. He, he then encompasses the whole wide world, everybody on the face of this earth, saying, you're all condemned. You've all sinned. You've all fallen short of the glory of God, which should push us to the Savior. Push us to the Savior. Paul is stating that every single one of us, from the ungodly to the self-righteous to the religious person, we are all sinners and we are all lost without Jesus Christ. And so I believe this is why he shifted gears. He wanted you and me to see the, the urgency of our knowing the Lord. I say urgency because of what we experienced on the television just this past week. People who left their homes just to have a wonderful evening. No, no more than that. I, I, I heard about, I didn't listen to a lot of it. But I heard about uh, this one girl who, who begged her boyfriend, begged and begged and begged and begged and begged and to, that he would take her. That's the way I heard it on the news. I didn't listen to a lot of it. I really didn't. And so what I heard is, he succumbed, said, okay, let's go. She lost her life. I think God wants to see how the urgency in what we believe, the urgency to tell people about our Savior, the urgency to tell loved ones that we love them. Don't be so selfish with telling people you love them. When I was working with the Rams, it wasn't very popular to go to a big old defensive lineman that weighed close to 280 pounds and hug him and say, you know, I love you. At first, those guys looked at me and they said, oh my goodness, what have we got here? You know, what, is, what has happened to our team? Where has this guy come from? It wasn't long before all the guys were hugging one another. We'd come to chapel and you, it was a hug fest. Guys were just, these big old guys were just hugging each other telling each other that they loved one another. Make that a way of life. In verse 18, we see God's wrath revealed from heaven against three very specific areas. First, it's against all ungodliness. That's, that's man's actions against God. Man turning his back against God. I want you to note something very interesting within the Word of God. I thought I'd just share it with you tonight. God never makes an attempt to prove himself in Scripture. He simply begins in Genesis 1-1 by saying, In the beginning, what? 
In the beginning, God. There you go. Deal with it. There he is. Where did he come from? None of your business. In the beginning, God. He uh, is so set on saying that, that in the book of Psalms, in the 14th chapter, the first verse, he says, the fool, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. That's his defense. He calls those who say there is no God, morons. That's what that really means, fools. You know, it's not so much, as we learn here in Romans chapter 1, that people cannot believe in God. The issue is that people will not believe in God. And God says he will pour out his wrath against those who deny or ignore or resist him. So that's first. Pours out his wrath against those who are ungodly. Secondly, he says that he pours out his wrath from heaven to those who are unrighteous towards one another. That's man's sin against fellow man. Ungodliness is the sin against God. Unrighteousness of man, well, that's the sin against our own kind, where we hurt one another on purpose. It started in the garden, did it not? Cain, his brother Abel, sacrificing to God. Cain wanted to, wanted to give to God the fruit that he grew out of the ground. Abel did what God asked him to do, gave him one of the animals that he raised as a sacrifice. And God, it said in Genesis chapter 3 or 4, isn't that funny? I can't remember right at this moment, but it doesn't matter. It's 3 or 4, it matters, but I mean... Oh, geez. I just got four. I knew that. <laughs> Next time, Karen, just stick up your fingers. <laughs> it says that God had no regard for what Cain gave him. The reason he had no regard, he says, if you do right, will not your, will not your countenance be lifted up? But sin is crouching at your door, Canaan. You've got to master it. And what did he end up doing? You know what Cain did to his brother Abel. He, he killed him. He separated himself against his brother. And God's wrath is poured out against our indecency towards one another. When someone came to Jesus and said, What is the great commandment? He said, You shall... Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then he says, and you shall, what? Love your neighbor as you do your own self. That's the great commandment. And so there was the ungodliness where man would... Would, would shake their fists in the face of God, and then there was unrighteousness where we shake our fists at one another. And finally, third in verse 18, God's wrath is revealed from heaven against man's unbelief against his truth. They suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness. Let me tell you what God will not allow, folks. I know it's common. It, it's popular to say, what about the person who's never heard? I hope and pray you'll never say that again. 
God does not allow man to plead ignorance. God says we all know the truth concerning him. I'm sorry, but I can't leave verse 18 without telling you this. Both in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, God's wrath is revealed. God's view of sin, evil, has never, ever changed. His wrath is poured out against it. Now, God is merciful. We, we, We learn that, we teach that. That is true. But it's not because he's going soft on sin. Not at all. God is merciful to you and me today because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. And God's mercy, his forgiveness, has not changed his attitude towards sin. It simply allowed God to accept the sinner, you and me. Both we as Christians and those who are non-Christians examining, perhaps you're here tonight, wanting to find out what is this thing called faith. Each of us will receive one of two things. We will either receive God's righteousness or his wrath, one or the other. And both are revealed from heaven. If you do and I just look around today, we'd, we'd see it clearly. In fact, I wrote this well before what happened in Colorado. We'd be able to see his grace as well as we'd be able to see God's wrath. It's, it's apparent. Just look around. Man against God, we see it. Man against man, we see it. Race against race, what's the issue? Wars, killing, stealing, fear, drugs, rape, social diseases, the environment falling apart. We we don't need to go on. Those are just a few. God's wrath is revealed, folks. Just look around. And yet man still denies. Man still wants more proof. You might be here tonight. You just want more proof. And what does God say to you? You who are investigating him? He says this in verses 19 and 20. That which was known about me, he says, is evident within you. I made it evident to you. Verse 20, for since the creation of this world, my invisible attributes, my eternal power, my divine nature has been clearly seen. You understand. You understand. You're without excuse. There's no one who can say, I don't know, I didn't know. There was a study done by Keith Samuel, wrote a book called The Heathen Lost. He wrote that missionaries who come back from the field report that no matter where they go on this earth, that people have some sort of respect for some sort of God, whether it be wood, stone, animal, Bugs, alive or dead, they have some sort of respect for some kind of a God. The missionaries report, no matter where they go, there are no atheists among the heathen tribes in the jungles. 
he writes, Samuel writes, usually atheists come through universities, from people of, of culture and higher learning. The elite, he says, the educated. He goes on to write that each tribe has been discovered, no matter the size of the tribe, they believe in some kind of a god. They have some type of worship system. Listen, but they believe in something to appease their own standard of sin, their own standard of immorality, their own standard of right and wrong. But interestingly, he writes, they seem to be afraid of the punishment that they hand out concerning these inequities against one another. They are afraid of their own standard of punishment and they are afraid of death. So, they try to appease their gods and yet they don't know how to appease him or her or it. And so they are held captive, he writes, by their own standard of sin and its punishment. And you and I have a Savior that wants to completely forgive us and set us free. You see, verse 19, that which was known about God is evident within them because God made it evident to them. No excuses. Do you think for a moment that God would not be fair with every man, give us all an opportunity to know him? Of course he would. Listen to verse 20. For since the creation of this world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature has been what? Clearly seen. Also it's been understood through what has been made so that they're not, they don't have an excuse. So what about the heathen who has never heard? There is no such a person. There is no such a person. How do we know? Psalms 19.1 says, The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the works of His hand. Acts chapter 14, verse 17 in the New Testament says, God did not leave Himself without a witness in that he did good and gave you rains from heaven, fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and with gladness. You see, all people are without excuse. God has made himself known to everyone. Came upon this quote, told this to Johnny, uh, Dave and, and Johnny, Joni, excuse me, Dave and Joni last night. It's from Abraham Lincoln. Listen to this quote. Fabulous. Abraham Lincoln once wrote these words, I can see how it might be possible for man to look down upon the earth and become an atheist. But he says, I cannot conceive how a person could look, look up into the heavens and say, there is no God. Isn't that a great quote? I can look down, I can see how a person can look down upon this earth and say, I could be an atheist. But he cannot conceive how someone could look up into the heavens and say there's no God. The truth of the matter is this. Nature will not bring you and me to God. Nor will it bring him, nor will it bring us his redeeming qualities. Nature knows nothing of forgiveness, its laws are relentless, ruthless, 
teaches no moral code, offers no solution to our greatest dilemma. That's our sin. That has to be dealt with. And that is why Paul has written this chapter and gone on to chapters 2 and 3. So that we would know without a Redeemer, without a Savior, there is no hope. No hope. And man, as we're going to see next week, will continue to sink without Jesus Christ and will eventually turn to idolatry. God will give them over. Stuck in their own sin. Stuck in their own guilt. I have no idea what time I was supposed to stop. Oh, I'm early. Well, I've told you often, I think, that I love you. So it gives me a couple of minutes to say that. I can't even begin to tell you how much I love you. I can't. I can't even fathom what it's going to be like for us in heaven to see each other, know each other. Neil, you're going to be a trip. To be able to spend eternity with you is going to be more fun than I deserve. More fun than I deserve. I can't even imagine what it's going to be like. But I have a touch of it here on earth. Through some of you, most of you that I've got to know, I've made friendships that are, are beyond wonderful. It's a great privilege to be a part of this church. You know, we are such nomads. <laughs> We've tried to hide from you, and we've, we've not been real successful. I wonder what God has in store for us. I tell you this, whatever he has in store for us, I hope it's you beside my, me. That sounded very selfish. That didn't come out the way I wanted to say it. I hope it's us together looking back at these memories and seeing what God has done in our midst. Thank you so much for being a part of this church. I'm sorry that uh, we're not in some fancier place. No, I'm not, nothing against this place. Oh my gosh, I'm nothing against this place. I love it. But I just wish that we had our own little home. But we will. Dan, tell us how we're going to accomplish all of this. <laughs> he started to walk out. Let's open, close in prayer. Father, I want to thank you for your grace. Lord, we look at, at what we just studied, and you know, we've heard so many times from so many people. What about those people that never heard? What about this? What about that? And Father, in your in your word, you tell us there's no one that, that doesn't know. You, you've placed that knowledge within our hearts. There's no one without, with an excuse. And so for those of us who know you, Father, I think Paul is saying, let's not be ashamed of the gospel. Let's be, let's be obliged to serve you. Let us live our lives 
totally sold out to you, Father, I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I love you all so much. Thank you so much for being here.